giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben, and I'm here today with the handsome and talented Derek Reimer. Hey, Derek. Well, hello. <laughs> hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. You look comfy and cozy at home. Yeah, as do you and your badass recording booth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at a giant cutout head of Matt and a bunch of uh, acoustic foam. Yeah, you shared some photos on Twitter the other day of, of your recording setup. It's a pretty uh, pretty sweet studio there. Yeah, I like recording in here. It's it, Every time I come in here, I'm like, yeah, we're legit. You can mm-hmm. tell because of the foam. Mm-hmm. That's what makes you it make me want to put some foam padding up in my home office. <laughs> yeah, I've seen people build little um, like nooks like that. Yeah, uh, but mm-hmm. like the, they'll just like actually build it for just like right behind the microphone. Yeah, so like on a like a stand basically. I've seen the same thing too, or it's almost like or I think some people have used like a shoebox, uh, like filled with the uh, fabric yep. or something, and then you like you know put your head under it and kind of yeah talk. yeah I think yeah yeah that's that's not not a bad choice. Mm-hmm. I feel like the dec- unless you have like a dedicated room, the decor might get some objections. If you were like, I'm gonna post, this, I'm gonna glue this to the wall, right? That might be harder to sell. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But yeah. So what's going on with you this week? Yeah. So I have a, a, a technical Ruby thing to talk about. If we want to get get a little technical for a minute, I could get a little technical. <laughs> All right. So we've been doing, as I've kind of talked about repeatedly we've been doing a lot of like performance optimization work and things around getting drip to scale well Mm -hmm. and um one of the things we did this week was trying to figure out why we're getting a lot of queue backups i guess like just moments where there's a spike in load of, of background job activity and it seems like our background queues are struggling to keep up more than they have been in the past hmm. and so we finally tried to st- decided it's time to get more scientific about it and do try to get some some deeper like tracing going on and trying to measure where the slow parts of our different processes are mm-hmm. are these sidekick queues uh yeah so mostly it's, it's basically all sidekick okay. um and we have some thing we have like custom instrumentation with with Prometheus that lets us increment counters and things like that. And we have new relic um, in place. And for most of our history, actually, we haven't been on a paid new relic plan, which that was like thing number one. <laughs> wow. as, as soon as we like activated paid new relic, it's like, holy crap, there's a lot of metrics in here. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And I don't I don't know I if find I can their go interface back really now. overwhelming. It is. And it's like everything is kind of like you can just like click into things and then there's a whole screen and then you can click deeper and there's a whole nother screen you've never seen before, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But it's pretty awesome. I mean, the, the tool they've built is incredible. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> they're collecting so much data and it's and now that I've tried to do some of that data collection by hand using Prometheus, it's like it's amazing the amount of detail that they have in there. Yeah, totally. I don't know how they, they do it in such a performant way, but like New Relic has never slowed down our app, I don't think. So mm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But anyways, so we, we turned on... That's we who turned should be sponsoring some, this podcast. Yeah. Come on, New Relic. <laughs> I'm giving them a free ad read right now. Yeah. So we turned on a paid plan and started to get some basically tracing of slow jobs. And they'll like sample jobs and give you a, a detailed like stack trace and timing for each step. When you turned on your the paid plan, did you just immediately start like sending them a billion events an hour? Did like a salesperson call you and say, I can't wait to talk to you, Derek? <laughs> I don't think we've got, well, yeah, I don't know if we've gotten the, the pitch from their salesperson, but I'm sure. And the other thing is, I'm not sure if, if they're already collecting the data and it's just hidden. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. I, I think there was definitely a lot of data that was already in there, but we just couldn't see. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, but huh. yeah, maybe there's, I don't know. I'm not I'm, sure. I would imagine you're going to be on a heavy plan. Like you're coming yeah. out on like the $30 a month New Relic plan. <laughs> not that there, I don't even think there is one probably. Yeah, we still haven't figured, their pricing is a little bit cryptic. Um, mm. Like when you go to get on a paid plan, they, they ask you how many compute units you want to buy. What? So you have it's like a text box and you have to en- type in a number. Seriously? And it's a min- yeah, and it's a minimum of 5000 and then they have like a little formula. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Underneath that's like compute units equals number of CPU cores times gigabytes of RAM or something like that. Like it's it's very it's like a a proprietary formula. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a a bad idea. So then there's like, we end up finding another page that was like your usage page and it showed all your instances and how many compute units each of those would need. Okay. And I think we're on track to pay a lot of money if like we're, we're way over on the amount that we bought right now. So uh-huh. I don't know we, we, we need to figure out. Interesting. Uh, so it doesn't even works. really matter that number you entered in the box after all. Like, you no, because it's it, like going to charge you appropriately. It's like you've used 50,000 of your 5,000 compute units you bought. And it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> oh, that's probably fine. <laughs> so anyways, so we, so we turned this on, mm-hmm. started getting... You, you tried to tell me a technical story and I got obsessed with pricing. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Yeah. <laughs> and started getting some, some traces of slow jobs, particularly around the ones that, uh, the jobs that record events in Drip, which, you know, everything is kind of centered around events, mm-hmm. right? So it's an extremely hot path. How um, big is and, the event model? Oh, the event model itself is actually a pretty small one. Nice. But well there, but we have a, a event recorder and then an event dispatcher that does that like sends to the recorder. So there's like a whole chain of objects of all uh, surrounding it. But yeah. Now don't ask me how big our account model is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah, I won't make you commit to that publicly. No, I I plead the fifth. Okay. Um, so the trace ultimately revealed that there was one method that was taking up 60% of the time hmm. on average in these traces. And as we dug deeper, what was happening in this method was a call to look up descendants of a class. Huh. So basically I and this was this was my fault. So this is something I built recently. Okay. Remember I was talking about the the refactor of our trigger system and how we have, you know, triggers in drip are now scoped by the provider. Hmm. So part of that was like converting our triggers from this nice, like 10 object structure into, you know, N number of objects per provider. So drip has like 15 trigger types under it. And then all of our other providers, you know, Shopify has like another 15 objects under it. Mm-hmm. So you imagine there was basically like an explosion of, of objects mm-hmm. under our triggers directory because each object is servicing each specific trigger type. Right. Okay. Yep. And when we're parsing any uh, rule that contains a trigger, we need to basically do a lookup and try to find the Ruby class that corresponds with that trigger. Mm, okay. So imagine we have it like a string stored that's like trigger type is, you know, submitted a landing page. Yep. And the provider is lead pages. So now we need to go find the lead pages submitted a landing page object. Right. So you do like a lookup for the constant I guess. Yes, yeah, so we're, we're basically like saying like, okay, of all the um, automation trigger classes, let's look at all the descendants and find the one whose, um, you know, name matches this particular 
naming scheme, gotcha. right? Yep. So when I originally built this, like I noticed it was super slow using the the native, or I guess it's a Rails thing, the Rails like dot descendants method on classes. Hmm. But there, so I found this blog post. It was like a, a way to override the inherited class method or something like that. So that anytime a class inherits from another one, it'll push it into this array so that you can easily access its children. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a performance hack thing. And when I was building this, I, I discovered that that was like an order of magnitude faster than using the default built-in Rails way of finding descendants. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is great. You know, I've I've managed to squash this performance bug. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that that was still, still the way we were doing it was like an order of magnitude slower than just maintaining a hash mapping of strings to class names. That was my just question. looking it up in a hash. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how about a, how about a table of one to one to one? Yep. So the the whole idea behind this was just I was trying to avoid having to to always add something to a to a hash mapping anytime we add a new trigger. So I was like, sure. I'm going to I'm going to get my meta programming all up in here and sure. you know, use a nice descendants lookup, but turns out that was a very bad thing and cause it, it had a lot of consequences like you know, you dump hundreds of thousands of these jobs in the queue at once and if you have you're spending 60% of your time doing this CPU heavy descendant lookup which is like a linear scan through the descendants list, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I'm, I still am not totally clear why the why the performance hack I put in was not still fast enough. But I guess it's just like still looping over an array of things and doing string comparisons or something, and maybe just still that's way slower than doing a hash lookup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, are, are there like thousands of these? There's like 150, maybe. Huh. Interesting. So the rest of the job must be pretty fast if that's the part that's dominating the time yeah because like yeah. I, I wouldn't expect a like a scan through 150 items to be slow unless you're doing a, would, a bunch of work on each item each time yeah i wouldn't expect it either and i imagine that maybe you know maybe if the job servers are quiet and the cpus are not pegged at that moment maybe it's faster but mm-hmm. when you put when you have like all the cpus are running hot they're all processing jobs lots of compute then, units going on yeah exactly <laughs> then i guess that becomes CPU heavy. Hmm. So that was interesting. Like my lesson from there is like, don't try to be clever yeah. with, with your metaprogramming in extremely performance critical sections of the code. Yeah. I don't know that you can take that lesson away from that, honestly. Like, really? Because how could, I, I don't think you could have rightfully predicted that this would have been a performance bottleneck. No. Like if you had told me like the 10 things the job did, I would not have ever looked in this spot and said, this yeah. is going to be a problem right here. I don't think. Yeah, we we were blaming the database the whole time. We we're like, what's what's wrong? We need to like, maybe you spread this load out over read replicas. And like, we were just like, we were making all these assumptions, uh-huh. and uh, turns out those were not. I'm glad we got these this tracing in place, and now yes. I'm addicted to it. Like, I keep looking. <laughs> totally, totally. That to me is the lesson. Is like is a reinforcement of that lesson of like, if you're having a performance thing, the first thing you got to do is like profile yeah. it and and don't just use a gut feeling of what you think is wrong. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So you made the change, and then you pushed it out, and you saw the the time drop. Oh, the graph is beautiful. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> there should be a blog that's just graphs like that. Yeah, where it's like yeah. someone pushes a, a nice, an awesome performance improvement, and just like you watch the thing fall off. Yep, it was literally like me. Like the the next few hours in Slack, I just kept posting screenshots of the new relic graph. Uh-huh. <laughs> like like I like five minutes after, I had like okay, here's a zoomed in window of like. Here's this gray line is where the deployment happened. And then here's the, the drop off. And then like an hour later, I'm like, all right, here it is with the three hour view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Like yeah, a proud couldn't father. S- couldn't stop marveling at that. Yeah. Awesome. That's so satisfying. It is. Yeah. 
taking something and making it faster it's, it's yep. like a, a deep satisfaction in my soul yep i agree cool. i want to do more of that <laughs> i bet well now you have all the all the data totally and then i had a i had another learning experience this week so this one's less technical in nature where so i basically had a, a meeting that i was involved in mm-hmm. and it was it was kind of a strategic planning meeting of sorts and it was the goal of the meeting was to explore a particular market opportunity. It's not really, it doesn't really matter what it was. It's just was a, was a certain market opportunity. And so coming into the meeting, like basically the, the premise for the meeting was to, you know, explore the opportunity and see if it's something that we want to pursue. Mm-hmm. And I immediately formed an opinion about this opportunity before the meeting happened. So mm-hmm. my frame of mind was like, this is not a good idea, you know, and because I can think of a about nine or 10 different reasons why I think we shouldn't do this particular thing. Yeah. And it was kind of like most of that was based on my experience, my learnings. And so I was just, I was forming my opinion before this meeting occurred. Mm-hmm. And then we had the meeting, you know, I've, I, I think the, the dynamic was mostly, me wanting to project my concerns about going down this path. Mm-hmm. And basically the feedback I got after the meeting was like, yeah, so the whole point of a meeting like this is to basically set aside those preconceived concerns and try to figure out from a higher level whether this is something we want to do. And mm-hmm. I feel like this is I feel like this was a lesson in like the difference between kind of like tactical planning and strategic planning. Mm-hmm. And like you know, I was coming in with like for example, saying like, well, it would be far too expensive to do this kind to try to pursue this particular um, opportunity. And it's like, no, no, no. Let's consider, like, let's assume that money's not a factor. Hmm. And then hmm. let's evaluate whether this is something we should do, provided that we can, you know, get the funding we need or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, is this a good thing to do? So what I've realized is if this was just a good reminder that anytime I'm evaluating opportunities or things to do, it's like, it's important to set aside your preconceived objections that are based on prior experiences, because sometimes you can be relying on assumptions that are not necessarily fair assumptions to be making. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, totally. Were you, were some of your objections, like, were you thinking about the technical difficulties of pursuing this opportunity? Was it more about money? It was kind of a combination of things. It was like, part of my concern was like, this is going to take away focus from where we've historically been been focusing our efforts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and these are still concerns that I have. But it's like, just because I have these concerns doesn't mean that we should assume that it's not worth pursuing. Like, maybe right. the benefits outweigh the cons. But if you don't give yourself the chance to explore the potential upside of it, mm-hmm. then, then you could be missing a big opportunity. Um, yeah. I think I've been guilty of this a bunch yeah. because when I think about doing a new thing or a new idea is floated, often my mind goes straight to like, what's going to take to implement this thing. Like I start yep. thinking about the complexities of it. Yep. So my default is kind of like, uh, no, like it's going to be annoying. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with you that there's a time for that. Uh, but when you're sort of exploring the new idea, like, yes, everything is kind of hard and annoying. And so... That, take yep. that as a given, but let, let's talk about it anyway. Yep. It's like been a good learning experience to be part of a larger company where they are regularly doing this kind of thinking. And I think it's I think it's especially important when you are at a company that is obviously pursuing high growth, has raised funding. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you're looking for let, let's look at the big picture. Let's try to see what opportunities are in front of us and what we can what we can do. And, 
you know, like from a bootstrap mindset, maybe I'm like, well, that's going <laughs> to doing this. It's going to require hiring a whole sales team and we don't want to do that. Right. So therefore it's not something we should pursue. And it's like, well, wait a second. That's an operational concern. You right. Know? Exactly. Like, like assuming that we can figure out the operational side of getting a sales team together, should we be doing this thing? Mm. And it's like, huh. Okay. Well, let me think about that because I'm used to falling back on these like kind of core tenants that I hold really true. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't want to do this because, because this is expensive or this, this is just not fun. And it's like, well, what if it doesn't, what if you don't have to be involved in that part? Then the, the lack of funness is not going to affect you. Right. You know? Yeah. So. I like that a lot. That's interesting. It makes sense that you have like some core values that are going to get kind of like triggered by certain things. Mm-hmm. And you're, mm-hmm. as a co-founder, you're like used to thinking of like, well, if we take this on, it's going to affect me a bunch. Right. I'm, I'm now responsible for this thing as well, basically. Yep. Yep. It's great that you got that feedback from somebody. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a nice environment where someone was willing to like give you some of that pushback. Yeah, and it came in the form of like like in reflecting on it afterward it's like okay, I think I may have ruffled a few feathers with the approach that I <laughs> the, the the way I approached the meeting mm-hmm. where I was I was mostly looking at the negative and in an environment where maybe people are less emotionally intelligent or whatever the word for it is Mm -hmm. that could have turned into like aggression or anger in the meeting you know people could have started shouting people could have been you know pointing fingers and making accusations but Mm. none of that happened it was just kind of like hey you know guys um this is kind of how we want the 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 purpose of the meetings is this and rather than coming in with only objections let's try to think about this you know and it was so it was criticism but it was very constructive and I, like I think that. it was it was healthy. Yeah, so. it sounds very savvy. Yeah. So that that was that was a good experience. And the other thing that I find interesting about this is like, you know, they, they they've done studies where oftentimes children are able to perform critical thinking tasks more successfully than an adult. Hmm. And I think part of that is like as an adult or as a you know, person who has some experience in a particular line of business, mm-hmm. you build up these biases and these assumptions about things mm-hmm. and while that's good because you're learning as you go, it also can be a detriment to your ability to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, you know, all the things that the assumptions we've built up about like, well, you should never, you should never price your product this way. You should never have a free plan. You should never raise funding. You shouldn't, ne- you know, like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we can hold these assumptions too tightly and then it's like they end up kind of boxing you in, in a way. Yeah, totally. It's interesting to me. It feels like the scales, this is kind of fractal, meaning you mm-hmm. see this in people uh, and you see this in organizations mm-hmm. and like a company gets really good at executing a certain business plan and the DNA of the company says like this sort of thing is good and this sort of thing is bad. And then even yep. when the opportunity changes or the market changes or the reality changes, uh, they are unable to uh, adapt to that. Yeah. And that's how you see companies, you know, if a company doesn't get outside of that box, then they will decline inevitably, you know? Yeah. So... <laughs> Good, good life lessons this week. Yeah, those those were my lessons. Cool. <laughs> I dig it. Technical stuff, social stuff. All good things. Getting the full gamut. Anything new or exciting in, in your land this week? Um, I have some stuff brewing, but it's not mm-hmm. fully brewed. And mm-hmm. so I think next week uh, I'll have some interesting things to talk about. But uh, cool. I'm not going to spill the beans quite yet. Ooh, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, uh... A little quick this week, but uh, maybe we'll just give a we'll do a quick short one. Yeah, and just sounds uh, good. stop it there. All right, cool. It's good talking to you. You too, man. Today's show 
was produced and edited by Tom with the Wind Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 238. Thanks for listening.